Hi, good morning, and uh, welcome to the Science Podcast with me, Mr. Short, and Mr. Atkinson. Morning, everyone. Uh, so we're talking about things that scientists say that are not believed. And last week we looked at climate change uh, and the history of climate change and a bit about the ozone layer. Uh, the ozone layer is still being replaced. And actually I was reading this week on forest fires. Forest fires are, are hindering the repair of the ozone layer. Oh. So global warming is impacting uh, on the ozone layer. Why is that? I'm not really too sure. So, I don't think anybody's too sure yet. It's the chemical reactions from the fumes that are produced from forest fires oh, that are impacting the, the level of ozone. Um, so, How do you actually get ozone? I mean, I know it's O3. Yeah. It, is it, is it some, how is it produced O3? Is it oh, I'm not sure. It's up in the upper, upper atmosphere. Um, you can get it off, I think, photocopying machines. And when you um, seal cellophane, you can get some ozone coming off, I think. Okay. I don't think it's terribly good for you. It's a bit of a lung irritant. Yeah, but obviously it's not natural for yeah. the atmosphere. So up in the upper atmosphere, it exists, and there is some lower atmosphere stuff. But I think that's the limit of my knowledge. And mm. um, <clears throat> okay, so we'll go on to well, we've, done, we've started on the Earth, so we'll move on to uh, evolution. Sure. So <laughs> we've done uh, global warming and uh, ozone layer. So we we'll now look at life. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So, things that scientists say are that um, evolution, from the time of Darwin, Darwin looked at barnacles to look at evolution in inherited species. Oh, good. Here's, a, here's our biologist to help us out here, because before we get stuck, <laughs> Mr. Cartner is joining us, um, just in time for evolution. Uh, yeah, so, since the time of Darwin, um, and looking at barnacles, and his trips to the Galapagos Islands, um, when he's looking at uh, evolution and inherited characteristics and competition of the species. Some people have said that actually that's wrong and it's a conflict between, uh, I guess, science and religion in that some people say in their God created everything and it's intelligent design. So who wants to kick off with this one? I think we should nom <laughs> nominate our resident biologist <laughs> to start here. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, uh, well, touching on the interesting thing first of all, uh, I mean, Darwin was uh, religious himself. So he, uh, he had a belief. That's uh, right, lots of scientists are religious. And that's plenty of scientists are religious. Yeah. They don't find conflict yeah. between religion and science. That's right. Yeah, they've always had to bridge the gap rather than create one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got plenty of people who are working at CERN, you know, dealing with the matters of like the Higgs boson and everything to do with the confines and the brilliance that is life. And they're religious. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting because some people have the view that you can't be both, but you can. But an, that's the point, before we go much further, is it just Christianity that has, because I always assume it's Christianity that has this intelligent design belief, but I don't know if other religions have the same kind of... Yeah, there's plenty of the, crea uh, the creationists within other religions, right. Hinduism, okay. uh, Sikhism, uh, and Muslims. And, right, uh, and who are anti-science, they don't believe in evolution. Again, it's certain pockets within, right. uh, yeah, yeah. within groups. Okay. You got, it's multicultural, so it's the same phenomenon exhibited across... Across religions. Yeah, across all religions. Yeah. So it's not just uh, holy Christianity. Christianity might have a lot more press in Western culture, yeah. but uh, it's similar to everybody. Yeah. Uh, there's quite a lot of uh, the Jewish community who work within uh, CERN, I believe, as well, uh, and they still have a perfectly fine, you know, we can put religion and science together, yes. and it's not really an issue. Yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, evolution, where, where were we going to start with, with Darwin and... Oh. 
<laughs> so Darwin, who, who noted it, uh, he was there for a geology project. Again, not a lot of people realise that. He wasn't actually there to study biology. He was hired as a geologist. Uh, he wasn't a particularly good geologist as well. Uh, had a bit of nepotism there. It was one of his families that got yeah. him on that boat, a bit of recommendations. On the Beagle, HMS Beagle. Yeah. Uh, but he did make some interesting observations uh, about niche environments. He didn't really understand what he was seeing, but he was writing it all down, which was good science. There was a lot of zoologists, and, and at the time, I want to say a, a, Mark, a Mark Fleming, uh, who was a prominent zoologist of the time, and he contacted Darwin when Darwin had a lot of his research with his finches because it promoted a lot of his own work. And he says, I'm very interested in what it is that you're doing. What a lot of people don't understand is that Darwin wasn't alone in this. There was a lot of zoologists at the time who were studying nature and making these observations, mm. but they didn't have the links and connections. Yeah, that, that's the thing about science, isn't it? There's usually a, a load of scientists that are working on the same thing, but usually the breakthrough is attributed to one scientist yeah. being a sort of maverick genius producing it all, but it's usually as a result of discussion amongst the scientific community that results in these uh, paradigm paradigms or theories, isn't it? Yeah, we find a lot of that recently as well when we're trying to attribute like science to certain people. Yeah. Um, we try and find these hidden figures and what they were doing behind the scenes, yeah. and people making sure that people have the right credit, especially for their contributions towards science. I mean, Watson and Crick with the DNA model, uh, famously within the science community, we know they, were, they, they weren't the only ones who were involved no, in it. No, I think Rosalind Franklin was yes. uh, misattributed. Uh, uh, in the, she, well, not misattributed, she wasn't attributed yeah, yeah, or recognised for, for her work. Because at the time she had already died, and the Nobel, right. laureate, Nobel laureate Committee wouldn't attribute a Nobel Prize to someone who had already passed, yeah. posthumously, and that was partially the reason. Right. But, uh, yeah. But back to evolution. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, evolution is really interesting, and we can see these observable changes. People misunderstand that evolution in the sense that they think we can just come up with a trait. We can just decide, oh, I want to fly. And if we think about flying really hard, <laughs> we'll grow some wings. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> not quite, no. No. Uh, it's, it's random. It's not always beneficial. 90% of the time it's not beneficial at all. It wouldn't do anything great. And sometimes even hinders the organism. But if you happen to be the one that survives and pass on that trait, mm. then your overall fitness will increase. Uh, fitness is a term we use. Yes, it's not a personal thing. It's a group collective thing, isn't it? So it's through the generations that you get this inherited characteristic. Um, so if you have something that's beneficial, then your offspring are more likely to survive and the others are less likely to survive. So the trait gets carried on. Yeah. Uh, going back to the beginning of everything, uh, when we have our original organisms that started producing oxygen, there was plenty of ones that were in the anoxic environment that couldn't survive on oxygen. Those ones died off, but the organisms that could thrive on oxygen did, uh, didn't, sorry, they survived, yeah. and then they passed on that trait, and then they became what were uh, attributed to be the first plants or you know, protozoic microorganisms absorbing chloroplasts and all other organisms. They just happened to be the ones that survived. It could have gone the other way. Life could have looked entirely different if it had. Uh, and that's what's interesting with science. We are always interested in trying to find out what would it have looked like or how would it have been and trying to find those conditions. So what, what, can we, what are the arguments against intelligent design? Uh, plenty of arguments. Uh, some of them being that if we were designed intelligently, we'd be a little bit different. One of the biggest problems we have is our eyes. Our eyes are not great. 
Uh, the rods and cones are very poorly designed. The retina that sits on the back, that absolutely uh, obscures about 30% of our vision. We have blind spots and we can't see them because there's a huge retina that's a uh, optic nerve on the back of our... But in terms of competition of the species, that's actually made us... It's been enough. Those inherited characteristics have been enough, but if you're designing it, it might be designed differently. Yeah, if I, if I were designing it, I would take octopus eyes. <laughs> yeah. Octopi octopuses have fantastic numbers of rods and cones. But surely you could argue that the person, the, the being that designed us, maybe put in these defects to even things out. Well, um, there's an interesting quote uh, that runs off of Terry Pratchett. <coughs> Terry Pratchett also attributed it to another uh, individual. If there were an intelligent designer, then he probably favoured beetles. And the reason for that being is that there are more species of beetles than any other species on the planet. There are more insects than there are people. So if there were possibly some arguments for intelligent design, we weren't the favoured species. There are less of us. We are less diverse. That's one way of looking at it. In terms is that also just because we have the ability to create medicine to look after the population that we have? Like rather, if we didn't, if we weren't particularly healthy, then maybe there's the argument that we need to have way more offspring so that some of us, enough of us, survive to con to maintain the species. But if we have the ability to look after ourselves, maybe we don't have to have as many offspring. That's true, because obviously we, um, if people are dying more than to survive, you need to have more children. Yes. Um, and I guess in some ways that means that there's less uh, pressures on us Cause we see to this evolve even, yeah, We see further. this even in the third world versus the, the developed world. Like in the third world developing countries, the birth rate is way, way higher yeah. because the death rate is also way, way higher and average life expectancy is way, way less. I feel like I've really brought the movie down in this <laughs> no, conversation. Well, it's, difficult to it's, it's, it's difficult to link that to evolution in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. Because evolution t takes place over such a huge mm. um, time span. Uh, oh, and no, in no, terms no. of intelligent design as well, yeah. uh, we're trying to say that obviously intelligent design isn't scientific in some way. We need some evidence that it isn't scientific. No. Uh, I think the, uh, the attributes to misattributes in science always come to trying to find the missing link. Yeah. And it's always the missing link argument of, well, you can't find... Like, we can find Homo sapien and we can find Neanderthals and we can go back quite far. And then we find a part where we haven't found a fossil that looks well enough. And we always look to the fossil record. And you can argue that the fossil record has been falsified, it's biased, because <laughs> these are arguments that do come up a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you have pro uh, scientists who are uh, creationists as well, they believe in uh, creation, and they're trying to examine the fossil record to help prove their arguments. Similarly, you have scientists who are looking at the fossil uh, uh, record, and they're saying that creation doesn't need to play a role. Uh, let's, for argument's sake, let's say there was a creator who started everything and said, right, we're going to get life started and then gave uh, the creations free will to do whatever they wanted, then it doesn't really matter whether or not there was one, because everything that has happened has been a subsequent of the original creation. We have evolved as per the original design to see what happened. Mm. We are a, basically a very large biology experiment that could be run by one person who's just interested to see what we do. I suppose the other thing is that the creationists, I'm not, I'm not really too sure what their, their idea is, but. Uh, in terms of Adam and Eve, that means everything was created at the start, in terms of a biblical story, 
I wonder if creationists think, because obviously the fossil record, if beings were created and then um, humans were created quite much later on, if things were put on the earth sequentially, which is quite strange, isn't it? Or if you go back to Adam and Eve, it just is very difficult to actually put together. Whereas if you go for an evolutionary perspective and all the fossil record uh, and all the changes in terms of um, apes to man kind of transition, uh, it does make a bit more sense. But the time scale is, I mean, it's quite phenomenal to believe that we yeah. came from apes, really. I mean, if you scale everything back, if the Earth has been here for 30,000 years, human beings have only been yeah. here for a day of it. Yeah. You know, it's the blink of an eye. Yeah, you know, the football match, the last few seconds or something of a football match. <laughs> Even less, it's, yeah. it's tremendous, isn't it? I do have one, actually, question, really, because when we talk about time scales, and this might not be evolution, this might just be you know, muscles developing. So I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that nowadays there's a lot of people use smartphones and generations of children nowadays, there's a, there's a ligament in your neck called the nuchal ligament and children nowadays have more fibrous nuchal ligaments because they're spending so much more time hunched over looking at their phone. Yes. So compared to previous generations, they have more fibrous and strong. That's an interesting one as well, because that's, is that not more, is, I don't know what the biology word is, an adaptation than an yeah, inherited characteristic. Because yeah. that's more like down to training almost. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. If they stop looking at their phones, or yeah. they wouldn't have it. Yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be an adaptation yeah. to like repetitive. And people are now being born, I believe, with extra <laughs> in their wrists and their hands because they play computer games so much. They're not being born with it, like. No, it's no, just no, it's yeah. been developed. Yes. Like they have more dexterity yeah. in their fingers now. Adaptation. And it's unlikely to see a competitive advantage there with, that is, leads to yeah. uh, an inherited characteristic. Unless we create it, because we now have... Sp- People do this and make money from it. Like a Hunger Games t- style thing where only the b- people with the best thumbs will survive. Just, I suppose, except less death and more money, you know? Yeah. Like, people get paid... People win money for these sorts of things. That's right. Anything else on evolution we want to mention yeah. at this point? Uh, my contrib- my contributions have really been a diversion in the Our ignorance. The, uh, one of the more interesting ones I would say would probably be to do with hit ratios uh, for natural births within the human population. We as a society perform more cesareans than we do natural births, more or less. Well, I'm, I'm broadly speaking, a lot of scientists have realised that we've been performing more cesareans and opting for cesareans and c-sections rather than having natural births, which unfortunately, because of the way the births eh, happen, say 100, 100, yeah, 100 years ago, not that long ago, if you were to have a natural birth and your hips are not the right size, then eh, it would possibly lead to female deaths. There are just problems associated with birth, yeah. and that is just a natural piece of biology. We are aware of this. But because we have developed our medicine, we have overcome this uh, yeah. problem by introducing C-sections and other uh, methods of you know, extracting and uh, dealing cuts and tears and yeah. lots of knife work. It's really, really cool. But these narrow hips have uh, continued within our society, which is meaning that we're less likely to have uh, more females who are then able to have child-bearing hips, which means the number of C-sections... But how has that happened? Because that's interesting, because... Uh, it, say before we did so many cesarean sections, the mother would have died. The, treat, the child would have yeah. would have survived. The child would, the child might have survived, not necessarily all the time, but the child might have survived, or you might have reached a point where the hips were and like the hips were incorrect. Right. And if, but if every birth leads to a death, and every death leads to a birth, and it's a one to one, or sometimes both would uh, both would die. 
uh, because of complications that arise in childbirth, then that uh, trait uh, and that uh, yeah. will be removed. Yeah, you see, I struggle with that because surely, I mean, even if some of the children were dying, babies were dying, then quite a lot are surviving. Yes. I've got quite a lot of mothers dying, but the mothers aren't the next generation. So the children are still there, so surely that would have happened uh, anyway. It's not the C-sections. Maybe it speeded it up. Uh, is that, the, is the that C correct? Uh, the C-sections have helped us overcome it. Uh, because we, but if they speeded, the C-sections yeah, speeded up that evolutionary it, pathway. They could be attributed to speeding it up yeah. uh, but, or, or shorten it because naturally it would have happened anyway. We yeah. reached a point where it was no longer feasible for natural birth uh, and it, it wouldn't work. Uh, and then we, those traits would just end up dying off. Yeah. But because we have medicine, we can overcome these problems, which is a really cool uh, aspect of medicine. But as making us recognise that we are, we're starting to go too far, people who spend a lot of their time researching these things are trying to work out how we can attribute and push back the other way and are trying to push mothers into having natural births rather than C-sections <laughs> because it's better biologically. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, it's I'm not, I don't know if I'm convinced by that argument or missing some of the facts. It's quite, it's quite, a, it's quite a long uh, argument. Uh, yeah, I'd need to I, read a bit more about that. That doesn't. Something's not quite clicking in, in my head. On, yeah, on that. look at the Midwifery Association in the United Kingdom right. uh, and talking about C-sections and hip ratios. Maybe uh, that's one to, to revisit. Yeah, it'd be quite, a, it'd be quite a long discussion. You, your homework, Mr. Atkinson, is to read about it. Hip <laughs> ratios and childbirth. We're yeah, going to come yeah. back to this. Okay, well, we'll move on from evolution and uh, we'll have a look at smoking. Um, so smoking is another one that uh, scientists says, or doctors, very few doctors I think, I was reading that um, as late as 1960, so we're talking yeah, yeah, 60 years ago, um, about th only a third of doctors believed that smoking caused cancer. The rest of them probably thought it was healthy and uh, no problem with it. So there has been a link with cancer for a long time. And like with global warming, because in global warming you've got the fossil fuel companies saying there's no link. No link to carbon dioxide and global warming and let's keep burning fossil fuels. That's not an issue, which distracts the, the solving the problem, I guess. And for smoking, yeah, there is a definite link between smoking and cancer, yet nobody really believed it. So what do, what do we think, apart from addiction, there's obviously addiction that's uh, a problem there, but what do we think is going on there? Because the evidence is there. Uh, that's, that's what, what are the problems with this? There's lots of problems. One, I think one of the more interesting ones as well is actually the science that goes against, because remember, science can be a tool for good and it can also be a tool for bad. When there was links starting to come out, they were saying that smoking wasn't healthy and scientists were starting to realise problems. Uh, another group of scientists invented, invented these lovely little filter papers which are plasticised little metal. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a plastic that sit around the top of your cigarettes yeah. uh, as a strategy to help increase the healthiness of cigarettes. And they proved it worked and it was really great and a lot of money was spent. So how, how would that work? Because it surely... It doesn't work. That, yeah, that takes out the tar but not yeah, any of the yeah, cancer-causing chemicals. It doesn't work. The studies that they yeah. had were fabricated and it was all... Oh, really? Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was lobbied by the tobacco companies and they lobbied for it and it was their studies and their science and they didn't let people see the data. Hmm. They fabricated an entire study. Yet, we still use these filter papers and uh, cigarettes and we have actually shown that Cancers can actually increase from using these filler papers as well. It's healthier not to use them, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> that's bizarre, isn't it? So, yeah, we've got scientists working against the evidence that's there because they're being paid. To, I guess that's human nature, isn't it? 
Um, human greed. Yeah. Mm. Right. Science can be a force so, for good and a force for bad. So we've got, yeah, lung cancer was quite rare at the end of the 19th century. And I think it increased with marketing and distribution of cigarettes, and cigarettes became more widely available. And then in the 40s and 50s, there was a link between cancer. Um, then you had the baby boom, and then the population right. increased so much more, and then a couple of decades later, yeah. there were so many more smokers. Yeah, a lot of people not believing that smoking causes cancer, because I guess when you're younger, you deal with it, and you're quite happy, and you can breathe, and it's only like 20 years later when you find you can't yeah. walk up the stairs without getting out of breath. If you ever have to, for example, anybody who works in a hospital, I don't know this, I haven't experienced this, yeah. thankfully, but I've heard from people who do work in the medical industry, and they say, you know, if you ever see somebody yeah. in a hospital bed struggling for every breath... It's an interesting link to make to other things we've talked about is that you don't realise until it's too late, until you yeah. cannot breathe, or you've got emphysema, yeah. you're looking at a cancer diagnosis. You're already... You're already dead. So the same with global warming. We'll have a load of global warming deniers and you know, it'll be too late before we realise we need to do something. Um, yeah. It always strike, it's the carbon monoxide that always strikes me. I never mind all the cancer-causing chemicals uh-huh. and all the horribleness, but carbon monoxide is a poison. If I was to stick you in a room with carbon monoxide, <laughs> you would die. <laughs> if you willingly inhale yeah. carbon monoxide, it binds to all the hemoglobin that it's yeah. trying to... Uh, it has a better affinity for hemoglobin than oxygen does, and it binds to it. Interestingly enough, when you are a, if someone has smoke inhalation, usually as a result of a fire, one of the first things that paramedics do is put an oxygen tank with more or less pure oxygen into your uh, mouth to try and have a greater affinity of binding rather than the smoke, because carbon monoxide happens when you burn things. It's not just chemicals, but when you're in a fire, carbon monoxide is there. It's a poison. It's a result of burning stuff. Yeah. Uh, and people will willingly put these cigarettes into their mouth, which naturally poisons them. But it only takes about a day for that to get out of your system. Yeah. That's the crazy thing as well. Within three days, you can overcome the uh, original cigarette problems. Yeah. It takes up to a year to, for everything to heal from a, a cigarette. Yeah. Never mind long-term exposure. Yeah. Which is crazy. Which is an interesting link. We've got we've still got time for the next bit. So vaccines is the next bit. So people will smoke and willingly take in all these chemicals that definitely cause cancer. Yet we've had quite a lot of vaccine deniers saying, "I'm not taking that vaccine because it's got something in it that I don't like." <laughs> so who was to say? Well, vaccines. Obviously, vaccines are prominent just now because of COVID. A lot of vaccine deniers saying we don't need it. We've got an immune system. We had Andrew Wakefield. Uh, so about 24 years ago, 1998, saying that the MMR vaccine caused autism. Uh, we've got so. What can we say about vaccines? Because obviously, the science is there that vaccines work. They're good for us. They solve a lot of issues and stop people dying. So why have we got these people saying, I'm not taking a vaccine? I think the first thing that we should also mention is that vaccines are not new. No. Vaccines didn't start with COVID-19. Vaccines have been around for yeah. decades. You know? It just seems to be more prominent now that vaccines now are seen as, oh, these are bad. Yeah, 1963, measles vaccine. Um, 1912, I think, for the USA. Uh, 1955 for polio. Polio would kill you with yeah, the still legs. The MMR. Mm-hmm. 1923 for diphtheria. Mm-hmm. So that's over a century. <laughs> that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's not new stuff. 
And people weren't dying of vaccines. Vaccines were clearing up the population. So why is it, do you think, that people are so against... They've got these pockets of people that think they shouldn't be taking vaccines. If you've got billions, literally billions of people taking a substance, statistically, there's always the chance that during the time after that vaccine, one of those billions could die of something unrelated to the vaccine. Yeah, and it could yeah. be just attributed to, oh, it must have been the vaccine. That is one of the things that actually worries me greatly, especially with the COVID vaccine, when about 10 years from now, when we're going to start seeing people dying off. And that's because they're going to say, what happened to all those 89-year-olds that got vaccinated? They've died now. <laughs> and that will be the argument. Yeah. I'm not laughing at 89-year-olds dying, but yeah. I'm thinking, yes, it's a natural conclusion when you get to that 10 age. years on, statistically, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But they, that won't be the argument. The argument will be the original people who are vaccinated. And statistically, if you were still alive, yeah. But it's funny that, isn't it? If we were just talking about cigarettes and the fact that loads of people are getting cancer from cigarettes and can't walk and can't breathe, yeah, a load of people will still smoke. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much they overlap, but they've got a load of people with no evidence of deaths from vaccines saying these will kill you. <clears throat> again, you, you, it's look quite incredible. again you look in the hospitals, right, and you will always see, without doubt, there will always be people at the front door of a hospital sitting yeah, smoking. and smoking. Right. Right. Uh, during COVID-19, the, when the, the, the height of the pandemic, when all the measures were there at the most stringent, uh, people were not allowed to exercise outside, but they were allowed to go outside to smoke a cigarette. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, with that, with vaccines, I think part of the, the it always comes back to an argument of herd immunity, which was an argument I heard a lot during lockdown, especially. It's like, oh well, we will be immune, and statistically, that might happen, but it doesn't always happen. Uh, there was one great example that I always love referring to, uh, which is uh, got a 100% mortality rate if you do not get treatment. One virus that you can subject yourself to, and if you do not get treatment, you will die. Because there's no known immunity group that's ever existed for it. And it's rabies. Rabies right. virus. That will kill humans outright. Mm. Uh, but we can treat it quite easily with medicine. Yeah. It's very easy to treat. You get, leave it on its own. Yeah. Yeah. We stress when you, know, when you get bit by a random creature you know, that might can be carrying a, carrying a rabies virus, particularly if it's foaming at the mouth. There was a big campaign about it as well because we realised how dangerous this was. Go, get, go to your doctor, go get seen and get a shot. Because if you don't, you will die. Yeah. And I was, uh, yeah, there's no yeah, way. Your immune system isn't invincible. Yeah. Obviously, people die young before they're meant to die um, from illness. You can have perfectly healthy people and they can drop dead from anything. Yeah. You can have a blood clot in your brain and not know about yeah. it until suddenly one day you have an aneurysm, aneurysm and you're just dead. So I wonder what it is about a logical thought process that thinks. Because there's a lot of people, obviously, when MMR came out and Andrew Wakefield was spouting his nonsense and the links to autism, if you've got a, a new baby, because it is, I can't remember when you get the MMR, but when you, you're quite young, and, you know, do you inject your, take the active decision to inject your baby with this, these chemicals when somebody's saying it could cause autism? It's a funny uh, situation there. The amount of damage he caused was huge. Because measure, like... <clears throat> Monitoring the health of a baby technically occurs before it's even considered a baby, right? It's all, you know, during pregnancy you can make certain measurements to see if it's growing normal oh, yeah, and things yeah. like that. So you, you know even before birth the relative health of the fetus, don't you? So. Yeah. 
But to say that decision, I remember you know, uh, when our children were about to get vaccinated, we did get them vaccinated. They did have the triple jab, the MMR vaccine. But there was a lot of uh, uncertainty around it. And it's generated from Andrew Wakefield. And I remember one of our GP friends actually didn't take the triple vaccine. Because of what he was saying? Because of what Andrew Wakefield was saying. A and GP, it's worth knowing that he was struck off from America. Yeah, he, he was struck off. And yeah. it was absolute nonsense. He's got support in America. Yeah. Um, but our GP friend, because he could, ended up taking the single vaccines for his children. And, uh, yeah, whereas in this community, he was probably giving the, the triple vaccine. There's way more echo chambers now. You've yeah, got, you've got, like, that's right. Social media that is just a platform for people who don't know literally don't know what they're talking about yeah. to say what they're going to say and as long as it sounds convincing you will get people who will believe it it's probably the best argument for solid science education in schools for logical thought yeah. and looking at the evidence and discussing it which is not easy yeah i suppose and i think perhaps on these podcasts we highlight our ignorance quite oh yeah <laughs> quite, quite openly yeah. but it us a starting point for, for um, more depth, yeah, discussion and more depth research. Yeah. Scientific literacy does help you question. <coughs> at very least, if someone makes a claim, and it, even if it gives you enough pause to think, hang on a minute, let me check, where did you yes. find this? Where yeah. did you hear this? Yeah. And if you heard it from uh, Betty, your best pal, yeah. who's uh, existed as far as you know and always has the best information, Maybe check Betty's sources, right. see it's where they're getting their Probably a good idea to go against what Michael Gove was saying, and we've had enough of experts. I think experts, oh. if you should listen to them, because otherwise you're checking all the data and just <laughs> making yourself look slightly foolish. And they change their opinions every day. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just finish on the fact that we're not experts, we're just having a chat. Yeah. And <laughs> a starting point for further research. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.